Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. I'm your host, Michael Strumsky. This week I speak with Eric Hutchinson as he humbly walks us through his journey to musical success and gives advice for young people following their own passions. He talks about coming to grips with having a sick father as a young adult and how he used the money from his first record deal to self-promote his own album. Make sure to check out his new EP, Sing Along with Eric Hutchinson, dropping August 5th. Hey man, how's it going? Good, how about you? I'm good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Like, thinking it was a catfish when I got the email back from your manager, and I was like, <laughs> like, it's 50-50, I'm so nervous, so it's either going to be like a relief, like, I don't know, asking your your first crush out, or uh, it's going to be an amazing experience. Either way, it's a win-win. Well, I appreciate that. The, the jury is still out on what it'll be, but uh, we'll find out. <laughs> So today I have with me is the famous Eric Hutchinson, the humble Eric Hutchinson, as I would say, because I, I know if I hype it up with everything that you give to, everything that you've done, you just be like, I'm just a normal dude producing music. No, I was ready to, to really pump <laughs> myself up here. Uh-huh. I like the famous. I was way better. No, I'm, uh, I'm both the most famous and the most humble you will ever meet. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And it's funny you say that because like I said, I did a a ton of research before this. And I know that A, you were fighting for the Eric Hutchinson URL (laughs) in the very beginning. That's true. Yes. (laughs) I used to be Eric Dash Hutchinson uh, for a long time. And um, I made a whole bit about it. And you can really tell how early you were into my music if you know, if you remember the Eric Dash Hutchinson days. Yeah, I was, I think, what was I reading? The, uh, and only amazing famous people do the uh, IMs on Reddit, by the way. There's no way nobody does not do this because that's, that's where <laughs> I found it. Uh, oh, okay. And I was like, man, his hands must have just been bleeding after like an hour <laughs> of like, uh, <laughs> you know, it was cool to do a, an AMA, feel, feel established. Yeah, it, I guess it's like a, uh, I guess something you just do when people have a ton of questions for you, you just want to knock it out. And you said, I did it. Yeah. But these days, sometimes I'll be bored, like on a plane or something. And I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm bored. And I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Ask me whatever you want. And then just tumbleweeds, you know? Yeah, no, I totally get that. But, so, uh, uh, but you're, you're like me, I'm originally from silver spring too. Uh, but yeah looking through all your Instagram and stuff like that, I knew you were from Montgomery County just because of your Orioles hat and that you grew up in the nineties because it's rare to find another person wearing Orioles gear outside of Baltimore or Maryland. Would you say that? (laughs) And it's always, it's always, I still have a lot of family that's in the silver spring area. And so I'll come back and I always have to catch myself when I start seeing Orioles hats again and stuff. Cause you know, I'm used to being like, Hey, Orioles. All right. And, and I, I live in New York city now and people will actually just laugh in my face at the <laughs> Orioles hat. Um, but you know, gotta, gotta keep the, the hometown pride. Yeah. And the other thing about the nineties is if you would have been born after, what is it? 2006, you would have been just a one of those plain old nationals fans exactly they, uh, and, and all, most of my friends did jump ship over to the nationals and and uh now they're not doing as well and the orioles are 
are starting to rebuild and suddenly everyone's kind of coming back around. So uh, I tried to root for the Nationals. I got nothing against them. It just didn't feel right to me, you know? Yeah. It just didn't feel right. But I got a lot of friends and family who are, are diehard. So I was I was really happy for them when they won the World Series. But, but I didn't feel anything inside. Yeah. Know? Because if there's anything, it's uh, <laughs> just having a stone heart after just the 90s uh, DC teams. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. When you get a glimmer of hope. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I didn't realize growing up, Cal Ripken Jr. was really just mediocre. Super, he was, no, he was, I was going to say he was a superstar. Like, um, everybody knew who he was. And, we didn't, I guess Ovechkin would be like that on the Capitals now, but it was a long time. You, you have like your local sports heroes and then you have people that like everybody knows, you know, like Kobe Bryant. Everyone knows Kobe Bryant. He's not a local Lakers star. And uh, Cal Ripken was that for the Orioles. I didn't realize just everybody knew him. And uh, I, I don't really know what I'm trying to say here, Michael, but uh, I do feel like there's something about oh when especially because he was local he was a maryland boy to begin with and then he was just you know those those kinds of stars don't come around that often yeah yeah i, I think i remember that just because that was what the orioles had yeah and he you know he broke the the iron man record and uh but he was just born and bred maryland played on the orioles his whole career and uh you know i don't know he was never my favorite player but I do think about something of that, of those people matter to uh, to a local area to have somebody. When RG3 was first coming up with the Washington football team, we were starting to feel a little bit of that. Of like, oh, when we play on Monday Night Football, everyone's excited to see this guy, not just us. Um, but I digress. Oh, no problem. Tangents are what podcasts are, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And life. Life's yeah. just a bunch of tangents. And we're going to talk about some of yours today. All right, let's do it. <laughs> uh, so you grew up in Silver Spring with your three siblings. Uh, yes, what I did. Of... I, I should say before you, you know, you don't want to get the, the trolls on you. I was, I was, uh, I was grew up in Tacoma Park, Maryland, to be exact. I did go mm -hmm. to high school in Silver Spring, and lots of my friends are in Silver Spring. But I got to rec represent TKPK. So I got you. I got you. All right. Uh, what? unique perspective do you think you gained growing up in an ethnically and economically diverse area not just different cultures but as you know there's just a complete difference you've got all these people who are politicians or working with dc government directly but then you've got um different areas like for example i saw you donated to that uh i think it wasn't Tacoma Park. It might have been Silver Spring area that had that fire last year. You know, the big one yes, in yeah, the apartment complex. Areas like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it I didn't notice until I left the area to, to go away to school. But it's just um, an incredibly diverse area. And I live in, like I said, I live in New York City now. Still, when I come home to Maryland and Silver Spring and DC, I'm still kind of amazed by the diversity of everyone just hanging out. And um, I, I think I just grew up in a place where you, it was cool to like other things besides being white, you know, like it was cool to like different kinds of music. It was cool to like different kinds of food and different kinds of people. And, and um, I think that helped round me as a person and, and, uh, give me some exposure to different ideas. Yeah. And that's kind of what I saw. Like I went to uh, 
it was a new high school, Blake High School, which is kind of down the road from Blair. Um, and I guess I, I never noticed stuff like that until I kind of you kind of leave and go into different communities and they have different. I don't know. It's not the same as where you were from home. Yeah, I remember one of my friends I grew up with, he called from like it's one of his first weeks in college and he's like did you know not everybody like celebrates and learns about black history month and i was like huh that's confusing um but yeah i was just really you know really proud of the area i grew up with and it was just a ton of different music and culture and as you said politics were really important and i i see that more as like it was more like activism was important and um yeah, I, I just feel really lucky to have got to be where I was and at the time I was, even though it was still hard growing up, because growing up is hard, I think. Yeah. And you started writing songs when you were eight. You started playing guitar at the beginning of high school, and your grandma was a big violinist, and your parents met. Uh, I think your dad was giving your mom guitar lessons. Yes. Wow. I love this. This is like my, this is my life. I told you, I, I told you, I've been just chugging uh, <laughs> of all those things was it a combination or do you what what made you just stick to it I guess in the very beginning um sort of like we were saying with with the area I didn't know that that wasn't everybody's household situation until I got older and people started saying like oh how did you get into music and I was like like everybody else you know there's lots of music around and listen to the radio and just love music but and I talked to some people who, you know, listened to talk radio in their house growing up. But music was just always really important. And I just took to it right away. My parents put a lot of emphasis on who the songwriters of songs were. And um, my grandmother was a was a violin player and, and cared very much about us being musical and taking lessons and things like that. So um I mean, I just as early as I can remember, I liked singing. And as early as I can remember, I was trying to make up my own songs because that seemed the easiest rather than have to learn all those other songs out there. Yeah. I should write my own song. And and uh, I was lucky enough to have a teacher in in elementary school that sort of noticed I was humming a bunch of songs. And, and she sat down with me and said, hey, you know, this is what we do when we have a song idea. We write we write it down. And uh, she wrote up the sheet music, which I, I still have. And um, I don't know, I just ever since then, I was always, it was a great outlet for me. That was mainly before it became a profession. It was necessary to me. I would, I would sing songs and play the guitar to get away from life and to blow off steam. And, and, um, you know, I guess that's necessary. Yeah. I gotcha. And I mean, doing research on you, I'd also did research your your dad is i mean you could write memoirs on that man mm -hmm. uh he really lived up to his name i mean cross-country cyclists taught vegetarian cooking classes that's that's like definitely a left field one uh, yeah he was a hippie back in the back in the day attended woodstock yes that's right yeah and construction company it, it's kind of like the random game i'm going like back and <laughs> forth between stuff that usually wouldn't go together yeah, and uh, yeah, my my dad was a was an interesting character, and he, he passed away a few years. So I was sort of writing about him and singing about him in some of my more recent songs. But yeah, he changed he changed himself a lot of times, and I've sort of struggled with that over the years. I think I feel like I'm supposed to do this about face wild change sometimes, just because it seems like 
something interesting and exciting, but it's uh, it's a bit uh, scary and overwhelming. So I, I do have a lot of respect. My dad pretty much changed his whole career in, in the middle of his life and found Judaism and and just really getting older now and having a family of my own, I can really appreciate how hard it is to carve out any anything new for yourself as you get older you know it's easy to just fall back on what you're used to yeah and I mean the other thing is did you feel like you had to try to one-up him with him being such a like a self-starter <laughs> uh I didn't ever feel like I had to one-up him but um yeah I don't know it, it was uh he I, I learned a ton from him about being a self-starter and about being a perfectionist and and finishing the job and how to edit and write and so I didn't really know what I was getting into until later and you know it's sort of a joke with me and my siblings these days but like when you go down the rabbit hole and to get something exactly right it, I mean that feels like my dad he'd be up late getting everything get, getting everything perfect sacrificing I got you yeah um so you graduated in 98 from Blair and you had I mean like I was saying on your kind of your music background my question is, what made you decide to major in film rather than music? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think, as I, as I said before, music to me, it was really my release. And I was going back and forth. I, was, I didn't have any extracurricular activities at school. I didn't really enjoy school all that much. I didn't really ingratiate myself there. So I just kind of felt like school was something I had to do just so I could had to get through it so I could get back to my regular life or whatever. And, and my life was at home making, making music, writing songs, recording songs. And then I was also getting really into like filmmaking and, and um, writing and directing films. And when it came time to go off to school, I, I was like, I don't think I want to go study music because I don't want to ever like resent it and be mad at it and, and not, want to do it you know so I was like oh I'm so smart I'll, I'll I'll never have to do that and then I went off and studied film and then sort of fell back into music and I ironically I sort of struggled with a lot of those same things when when it became when it went from just my passion to my profession you know it's um it can sometimes be a little tricky learning how to Dr. J said uh being a professional is doing what you love even when you don't feel like doing it um, yeah. which is maybe not sexy to hear from, from people, but you know, it is, it's, um, it can be hard to, that's one of the harder parts of what I do, I think is finding, summoning the inspiration on call. I mean, that's being a professional, right. Mm -hmm. You know, like getting in the zone and being able to deliver exactly at the right moment. Yeah. And I mean, I guess you kind of, just like what I've talked to a lot of people, it's kind of feeling it out. I mean, obviously you felt it out once you got the opportunity, um, you kind of were like, and that, that's actually my next question between, um, I guess your, your album being picked up by, uh, um, Paris Hilton and your graduation, what, what was going on in between then? I know you were writing and you tried to self-produce your first album. Yeah. I, I mean, I was a lot of, uh, trial and error and, and, um, uh, I knew I wanted to do music and people seemed to tell me I was good at it. I felt like people were starting to pay a little attention. I'd, I'd made my first 
CD and I was selling it out of my, you know, out of my dorm room and people I didn't know were knocking on the door and saying like, Hey, can I get one of those CDs? And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And, and then I just was like, okay, well, I'll just kind of give it a try for a while. I'll try to go play some coffee houses and colleges and, and whatever else, and just figure it out. And, and I just kind of became obsessed with it and, and started really just grinding it out. I did just, I was on the road constantly and, and I was, I think just kind of learning, learning how to do it. And, and um, I spent five years just playing a lot of colleges and, and little shows and things. And then I ended up getting, catching a couple breaks and, and the music uh, went to a whole other place. And, and in a lot of ways, my life changed. And when you were doing all that, were you, did you have a, like a part-time job or anything like that, that was kind of supporting it or um, you know, for me, early on, I realized that I needed to do it full time. And that's always a big, a big piece of advice I have for younger people when I talk to them is, you know, if, if you have, if I have a day job, it's easy to fall back on the day job. And it's easy to have the day job consume my time and my energy. And I was waiting tables. And I went and did this one college show that paid much better and i made in the one college show what i'd make waiting tables in a week and i thought huh maybe if if i do enough if i only have to do 52 college shows to to add up to one year of waiting tables and so i just early on and it was definitely a struggle and and it's there's certain days when things are slow still that it's like huh what maybe i should get a day job or something but um i, I felt it was really important to just concentrate on this because then I didn't have any choice, but to succeed with it. Yeah. That that's how, how, you know, when you're starting out, when you figure out how many shows you need to keep going. Absolutely. I mean, I was not making very much money in the beginning, but I was making enough to get by and, and my parents were gracious enough to let me sort of live at their house when I wasn't on the road. And, and so getting some, some help, but I wasn't, uh, I don't know. The older I get, the more I feel like I just got really lucky. And and um, I worked hard, but it's just I knew other people that worked hard and were extremely talented and it didn't go the same way as it did for me. And and I just I just feel very, very thankful at this point that um, I was able to do a lot of the things that I did and, and get to the music got to take me all over. And, and um, yeah, it's like a, I'm always really grateful for that yeah and i think it says something to your character that i mean you you could have made breaks and stuff like that and after you got to a certain point you could have probably just coasted but i think you just kept on working hard after that it wasn't just like you stopped yeah, yeah. uh in 2005 i got signed to my first record label which was uh maverick records which was at the time it was owned by madonna and they had like alanis set and uh Kobe Collette branch. Uh, I don't think she was on Maverick, actually. Not that I know of, but um, so I was psyched and I thought, okay, this is the next phase of my life. And then almost instantly the label closed and I got dropped from the label and, and they had to sort of buy me out and they gave me a lump sum of money to cancel my contract and go away. And I, I thought really long and hard about maybe this is just a sign from the universe and I need to just take this money and I don't know, go buy a house somewhere and just move on to the next point of my life. But I just felt like I'd never really gotten my shot. And I ended up using 
using the money to to make my first album sounds like this independently and then I caught a bunch of breaks but I still remember that feeling so well and I still come across that feeling a lot of just like if I'm not busy I'm sort of like what am I doing and is this um should it should I just pack it in and go try something else sort of going back to what I was talking about with my dad you know like um, there's always sort of this idea that maybe there's an about face to be had even though I've tried so many times I just um, I love making music and and I know how to make music mm-hmm. you know like at this point I've just uh, I think of myself as like an artisan or something you know it's like a a cobbler or a, a yeah. bread a baker or something it's like I've put all the time and effort into it I know how to do this thing and and um now is not the time to go find something new to do. Now's the time to hopefully be kind of good at what I do and enjoy my life. Yeah. I think you kind of answered my next question. Cause it was, what would, what are the big things that you had learned after you uh, were producing your music yourself from 2003, Eric, to basically at that point? I mean, what I learned in that era was I wasn't ready. I was getting better, but I wasn't professional. And specifically to music being in the studio and recording in the studio or recording is its own skill just like getting up on stages you know like it's very easy to get thrown off and get nervous in front of a a studio microphone and it took me a long time to get comfortable doing that and it took me a lot of wasted money and time and you know I was just I was just trying to figure it out constantly but um I look back on that time and I feel like I was just kind of doing my 10,000 hours and, and just getting better. Yeah. Just grinding it out. Yeah. Yeah. And finding myself and finding my voice and and finding what I was as an artist, I guess. Mm-hmm. So through my research, I stumbled upon your, uh, actually I stumbled upon it today, luckily your medium article that you wrote and mm. I was reading it halfway through and I was like, this is a really good article. Who did, who wrote this? So I go back to the top and it was you. And I was like, I was just surprised because I was looking all over the page and I was like, how often do artists actually write their own uh, articles? Because I I literally went through like 30 or 40 of people who had interviewed you and a bad one of you, surprisingly. So I think it was probably around 41 or 42, (laughs) but I appreciate the thoroughness, man. No one, this is the most prepared interview I've had in in a very long time. So I appreciate it. Well, the reason I liked it, I mean, like you're describing your, your dad's relationship and his uh, myotonic dystrophy, which uh, I I know you support and you you give to. um, I'm actually anti-myotonic dystrophy, but I do support the foundation. Yeah, but yeah, yes. Just to be just to be clear yes. before I get my uh, get my angry haters on yes. Twitter. But yeah, my dad had um, had a disease called myotonic dystrophy, which is a form of muscular dystrophy, and and a lot of my young adulthood was learning to um, come to grips with all that and and to talk to him about it. And I wrote some music about it, and I, I wrote a a medium.com piece about it. And, and I just, uh, it was a lot of learning about myself and, and my, you know, how that affected our family and my dad. Um, and I talked about it a lot on stage and, and, you know, in pieces I wrote, and it's amazing to have, how so many people came up to me afterwards and, you know, it's just every family has got 
these sorts of skeletons in the closet or different health things or mental health things or whatever. And, and every person come up to me afterwards and say, oh, I know somebody like that. Or my uncle has something similar. But growing up my, with my family, it felt like we were the only people in the world dealing with that stuff. So it was, um, it was empowering for me to sort of shine some light onto the the dark areas of my of my you know childhood days and um i just had to learn how to talk about it and learn about the disease because i just never did yeah i saw that your family never talked about it i guess you had it building up do you think basically talking about it getting out kind of being a uh, i wouldn't say a, a warrior for it but being open about your depression make you like therapeutic and I don't know, be willing to kind of break the mold with your family. Yeah. I mean, I just got to a certain point in my, in my music, especially where I said, the only reason I want to keep doing this is, is if I can tell the truth. And that's what's interested me. The last few albums is, am I telling the truth? Am I getting to the core of what it is for me to be human? And, and those are the kinds of, musicians and songwriters I've always loved the most Paul Simon Stevie Wonder the Beatles um people that really get to the the core of what it is to be human but mm -hmm. hopefully with like a catchy ass song so speaking of that you became a father in 2018 how would you say maybe your creative process or perspective changed after producing your music I, I know you reflected back on your dad but um, in terms of becoming a becoming a father, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's. I would. Say, I was just talking about it with a friend. I. I mean, it sounds obvious, but, I mean, becoming a father and a parent has changed almost the way I look at almost everything. Um, I think so much about how I'm. How or if, you know, what I'll leave behind that my daughter might even be like the slightest bit interested in later on. And, and um, I think mainly, like I've sort of said, I've, I feel like as I get older that it's about, are you enjoying it? And, and are you, am I doing something worthwhile with my time? Because as I get older and I have a family, my time is the most important thing and the most valuable. And, and how am I spending my time? But I mean, it's also just been great to re-see the world through through my daughter's eyes as she's learning the world it's um it's it's a really you know when i'm not in an annoyed parent mood it's it's um a really beautiful thing to to connect that way to reconnect with the earth and the and the world around us through somebody who doesn't who doesn't know it yet and doesn't have any hard opinions yeah because they're experiencing new new things and it kind of gives you a new perspective where this is the first time they've been splashed by a hose or something like yes, that. Yeah, exactly. And how many of those things we just kind of take for granted and get used to and, and how many amazing things there are just right in front of us. And um, I, you know, I do my best to get my nose out of my phone and, and try to look around and appreciate that stuff. Yeah. So I've got a loaded question <laughs> for the amount of fame you have and what you've accomplished what was uh what has made you such a humble and charitable gentleman <laughs> again i would probably say uh my my dad and, and my family um 
my dad wasn't one to like really throw a ton of praise my way. And, and one of the few times we really had a discussion about my kind of uh, career and, and, you know, he was saying he was really proud of me for staying grounded. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's just, uh, I'm not really a rock star. I'm not really, um, I'm not the largest person in the room often, and uh, I don't necessarily need the attention on me. And um, I, I like putting on a show and I like thinking about things and I like organizing my thoughts into songs. But um, the most famous I ever was, which was not very famous, by the way, but the most famous I ever was, it was never like, oh, this is better than regular life. It was actually confusing to me because I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be happy now. That was my, that's what I figured would happen. I'd get more famous and get some recognition and then I'd be happy. And that wasn't what was going on with me really. And it was, um, so in some ways the fame, that aspect of it all just wasn't really for me. And I didn't really try to chase very much of it, I think. But yeah, I don't know. I appreciate you saying that. I'm sure on paper, I'm from the outside, you know, it, it looks looks pretty good. I'm always trying to um, to be a better person. And my my most recent music I've put out is is kind of some of my most selfless music, I think. And I, I actually, you know, I brought in a bunch of other people to sing with me and kind of uncenter myself and and make the music about change as much as possible. And and that's a, a new EP called Sing Along with Eric Hutchinson. And that's the full album's coming out August 5th, right? Correct. Yeah, it's a it's an EP, but yeah, we recorded it all live. But that music, the songs were really important for me to put out because they feel like a a, a graduated version of myself on some level. And you know, I, the early songs I wrote were all about myself, and these songs are a little bit more about the world and you know my small place in it. Well, let me ask one teeny my question before I ask you the last question of the podcast. Okay. Through all the interviews I looked through, whenever you're asked if there's an artist you want to collaborate with, you always say, ye, the yeah. artist formerly known as Kanye West. Has that has anything mm. like that happened yet? I've not collaborated with with ye. I thought it was yay, but maybe you, it's no, me. you're right. You're right. I, I wrote okay. it down and I knew um, uh, I've not got to collaborate with him. I, I don't know that that would be a, a really fulfilling collaboration for me. Um, I have been working on some music. It is fun to work with people that you just really love what they do. And, and uh, by design a lot, my music has been very singular, but it's been fun to get to write some songs with other people and, and um, to be surprised by somebody else. So I don't really have a good answer anymore for that. Um, Yay would still be kind of cool. I'm, I would probably still fly out to LA if I got an email from Yay. Yay, if you're listening, <laughs> first you should do the pod. It's a great time, and uh, you know, second, let's let's collab. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I kind of subscribe a little to the "Don't Meet Your Heroes" thing. I try to stay away a little bit, but. I would love to, um, I was just thinking about it today. I would really love to just meet Stevie Wonder for five seconds and be able to just shake his hand and, and thank him for uh, what he's given me. But um, yeah, I don't know. Actually, these days I'm just interested in being a, a collaborator to somebody else. Okay. 
And were you a Oldies 100 fan? I did like Oldies 100, yeah. With Goldie? Goldie Oldies. Um, yeah, I, I, I still love Oldies music. It's getting older and older. They don't even call it, like, I don't know if Oldies is even still a thing. But uh, I love the music of the 50s and 60s and 70s, which is already 50 years old. But <laughs> I love, like, classic rock and roll and and sort of the beginnings of rock and roll and popular music and the charts and stuff like that it's a it's a it's a fun time because there's so much youth and and innocence in all that music okay my closing question which i finish with what is something that your parents did that you'd like to pass on to your children and what is something that you want to try to avoid uh your turn around um, well, I feel like it's kind of the, the cosmic parenting joke. Every, every generation's like, I'm not going to do it like the last generation. I'm going to do it different. Um, I think my parents were around and there for me a lot. And I'm trying very hard to do that um, with my child and, and to spend time with her. And I mean, I think the thing generationally that, you know, my, our generation is really looking at is just a, a higher level of emotional intelligence, you know, like when my parents were young, you went to therapy because you were a nutcase or a basket case or something, you know, and our generation sees therapy as like going to the gym or something. It's just, a, it's a necessary part of how do you feel and how do you process? So I'm hoping to just be as uh, emotionally honest and and open with with my daughter as I can. And, and um, I think that whole generation is going to be pretty amazing in terms of what they consider or think about or are aware of. So um, I'm excited to meet my daughter when she's grown up. But you know, in the meantime, I just got a text that she sprayed bug spray in her eye. So we're not <laughs> we're not there yet. Yeah, it it's like you have a child and you think like I uh when did when did I have my child? 2020. And you think it's going to be in my opinion, obviously my wife head over heels and me it's more like I need some reciprocation. I'm shallow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's just starting right now, which is pretty good when you How how old is your uh is uh, your kid? He's 18 months right now. All right. But congratulations. Uh, thank you. But yeah, that's basically the podcast. I also bought tickets for your uh, 23rd show here. Oh, I appreciate um, that, man. You're welcome. Well, I'm just excited. That's all. I, I appreciate um, it. Thanks for all the enthusiasm. I, I know your your podcast is just kind of getting up and running. I was very honored to be included in it. and uh, I was honored I hope, you responded. Yeah, for sure. I, was, I, pre I appreciate the time. And um, hopefully I, can, I didn't get too intense and dark here i'm in a bit of a um reflective period of my life right now so you caught me in a specific zone but um yeah man i, I really appreciate the time and, and best of luck and uh yeah ping me when you're uh, when we get closer to that show we'll definitely have yeah. you come back and say hey yeah that sounds great yeah, um man. yeah thank you sir thank appreciate you appreciate you doing all the research too hopefully you can now let it leave your brain yeah yeah i wish it worked that way you're going to be like, just trying to go about your life. You're like, that reminds me of Eric Hutchinson in 2013. He said, yeah. I don't know where I'm going. It'll, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to get it all out, but it'll, <laughs> it'll come out.
But again, thanks for your time. I really Thank appreciate you. it. You're amazing, just like all the other interviews. <laughs> I appreciate it, Michael. Have a good day, sir. All right, you too. Take it easy. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.